0: Welcome aboard, Seth Goldberg, with you for another edition of a show to be named later. It is July 18th, 2018. We've got so much to get to today. We'll talk some NBA with Kawhi Leonard being traded. They finally pulled the trigger on that, the Spurs do, sending him to Toronto. We'll talk MLB on the heels of last night's All-Star game and why that game was so indicative and such a perfect encapsulation of baseball in 2018. So we'll get to that. And then I'm really excited about this. We'll be joined by Chad Brown, former All-Pro linebacker in the NFL, former Pittsburgh Steeler, Seattle Seahawk, New England Patriot. We'll be talking football with Chad. Because we are 50 days away from NFL kickoff that is coming up later in the podcast. So really excited about this. We're going to go a little bit long today, but uh, it should be a good one here on a show to be named later. Let's get started with Kawhi Leonard with the trade of the Spurs superstar to the Raptors north of the border. Not the team that he would have hoped for, that I, I don't think anybody expected this. And the first I heard, the first I read, the first I saw of these rumors really came earlier this week. When I was listening to the Zach Lowe podcast, the Lowe Post podcast, and, and Brian Windhorst mentioned the Raptors as a possibility for Kawhi Leonard. Up until then, I, I didn't think that that was an option, right? I, I thought probably m- much like uh, most of you that he would end up with the Lakers or the Sixers or the Celtics or somebody. I didn't think Toronto was on the table. And on the on the surface this trade is fascinating. This trade is really interesting for a number of reasons. You wonder if the Spurs got enough back. Right? They get a late first round pick. Maybe turns into two twos if the Raptors are really bad this year. They probably won't be. They get DeMar DeRozan, which I think is a really interesting piece going back to San Antonio. He's a really good player. Uh, I mean, he might be the best player that was available in these trade talks, and then you pull the trigger on it. He is already an all-star. You're not waiting for him to develop anymore like you might have if you got Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma from the Lakers. You're not waiting for him to develop into something bigger and better like maybe a Markel Fultz or some of the pieces from the Celtics. You already know what he is, right? You know what Kawhi Leonard is already, and you wanted some kind of proven commodity back. You got a proven commodity with DeMar DeRozan if that's what you were looking for. You got an all-star. You got a guy that you know can score and fill up the stat sheet for you. All right. So you got that, and you got a draft pick, or maybe two second rounders. It depends on what happens here this year. On the other side, you get Kawhi Leonard if you're the Toronto Raptors. You also get Danny Green, who's a legitimate piece. Right, So this trade seems to make sense on both sides. The Raptors get a superstar player in Kawhi Leonard, albeit one who hasn't played in 16 months, one who had seemingly no interest in playing this season for the San Antonio Spurs, who doesn't seem to want to play in Toronto based on all the reporting on Wednesday morning. He doesn't really want to be a Raptor. And then you also get Danny Green, who's a nice side piece. So when you dig into this a little bit more, here's the interesting thing, I think, about this trade. I think it's an admission by Masai Ujiri, the Toronto Raptors GM, that that team just wasn't good enough. Yeah, for the last couple of years they ran into LeBron James. Sure, that was the buzzsaw. Cleveland and LeBron. This year it was four games. You fired your coach afterwards because of how disappointing it was. You thought you were finally going to get over the edge, and LeBron James comes in and just snatches your soul out of your body. So you were disappointed. You wanted to make some moves. You wanted to make some changes. I get that. And now you decide to go for the ultimate change. You decide that your team of two All-Stars, your team of Kyle Lowry and, and DeMar DeRozan is not good enough. That's what this trade says to me if you're the Toronto Raptors. Those two were not enough to win the East. Even in an Eastern Conference, that no longer has LeBron James. Those two were not good enough to beat the Boston Celtics. Those two were not good enough to beat the Philadelphia 76ers. We needed to get better. Right, that was my takeaway from this trade of Kawhi Leonard. And that, this allows them to do that. This allows the Raptors to do a couple of different things. Either, and I'm, I would imagine this is the preferred option here, either you get Kawhi Leonard, he plays in Toronto, he ends up really liking Toronto, he wants that extra money and that extra year, and he signs with you. And then you build around Kawhi Leonard. And you start building that team up as Kawhi Leonard's team. And that's important, by the way, because Toronto over the years has had trouble luring in free agents. It's why re signing DeMar DeRozan was such a big deal a couple years ago. It's why re signing. Kyle Lowry was such a big deal a couple years ago. Because players haven't wanted to go to Toronto in free agency historically. And now they got one of the best players in basketball. So option number one would be re-signing him after this year because he really likes the city. He falls in love with it over the course of the year. Much like Paul George did with Oklahoma City, by the way. And he spurns Los Angeles, much like Paul George did this offseason. Option number one is keep him. Option number one is build around Kawhi Leonard, build around one of the best players in the NBA, and make this team better. But option number two, which is out there, option number two, which I saw floated by Bobby Marks, ESPN's front office analyst and insider, and one that maybe isn't thought of right away, this trade would allow them to reset a little bit quicker, right? This trade allows them to hit the reset button faster than if they had DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan was under contract for a long time. DeMar DeRozan was a guy who would have stuck around longer than that. If you saw his Instagram post this morning, he was bemoaning loyalty and the lack of it from the front office. He would have stuck around Toronto for the long haul. If Kawhi does not re-sign now, if Kawhi hits free agency next year and decides, you know what, Toronto was nice and everything, but I want to go home. Toronto was nice, but I want to be a Laker. Then he goes, and Kyle Lowry is a free agent after the following season, and the Toronto Raptors hit the reset button. The Toronto Raptors go back to the drawing board. The Toronto Raptors start to tank. That's what happens here. And this trade opens up the door to that possibility that I don't think was really on the table yesterday. It's hard to rebuild. It's hard to tank when you still have DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry on the team. But there's a very real possibility that in 2019-2020, you don't have Kawhi Leonard on the team. There's a very real possibility that following that, you don't have Kyle Lowry on your team either. This opens the door for them to hit the hard reset button. And I think that that can't be overlooked if you're a Toronto Raptor fan. There have been so many hard resets, there have been so many moves made in the NBA in order to reset, hit the draft lottery hard, and get a superstar. And the Raptors have that chance now by trading for one. It's a rental, possibly. Maybe it's more. But either way, the Raptors are set up for their future better now than they might have been with DeMar DeRozan on the team. And that may sound crazy, right? That may sound insane. Because as I mentioned at the start, DeMar DeRozan's a really good player. He's an all-star. He's a guy who's going to do really well in San Antonio. And that San Antonio Spurs team will still be really good. Add DeMar DeRozan onto the team that this year won 50 games without Kawhi Leonard, and you made them better. Put him with Patty Mills and LaMarcus Aldridge, and the other pieces that you've got there, and you've got a playoff team. And maybe that's all Greg Popovich wants and needs right now. But I don't think they're anything more than a playoff team. And I think that's what the Toronto Raptors saw. They were a playoff team. They were a team that could win the Eastern Conference in the regular season. But they weren't good enough to beat LeBron James. They're probably not good enough in the coming years to beat the Boston Celtics and they're probably not good enough in the coming years to beat the Philadelphia 76ers. And once you made that realization, you had to make a move. You had to make a move to get better now with Kawhi Leonard, or you had to make a move to get better five years from now if Kawhi leaves. And by making this trade, you set yourself up to do both of those things. Will it work out? I don't know. These rebuilds rarely work out. Philadelphia is the exception, not the rule. The Houston Astros, the Chicago Cubs are the exception, not the rule. For every team that tanks across sports, whether it's the Cubs, whether it's the Astros, whether it's the 76ers, and comes back and has success like those three have, there's the Sacramento Kings, who are perpetually rebuilding. There's the Orlando Magic, who have been rebuilding for a decade. There's the Phoenix Suns, who haven't found their way for the last six seasons. So for every good team, every success story, you could point to multiple bad ones. Multiple teams who never found their way, who never made their way back. So it's a risky play if you're the Toronto Raptors. But the one thing it does is it doesn't get you stuck in NBA purgatory. It doesn't get you stuck in the late lottery and low seeded in the playoffs which is the worst thing to be. This year they'll probably be pretty good. High seed in the NBA in the uh, Eastern Conference. It'll be a battle between them, the the Celtics and the 76ers for that Atlantic Division crown and for home court advantage in the NBA playoffs. But they won't be a 7 seed. I don't think They won't be the team just missing out on the playoff spot and not getting a good draft pick. And then if Kawhi stays, they'll be in that same position. They'll be the four. They'll be the three. They'll be the five seed in the East for a couple of years. And if Kawhi leaves, they'll bottom out. So whatever happens, they're not stuck in the middle. And I think the Spurs are looking at that the same way. They'll stay competitive as long as Greg Popovich is on the bench. They'll stay competitive with LaMarcus Aldridge. They'll stay competitive with DeMar DeRozan. And then Pop leaves, and maybe those two leave, and they, they bought him out. After a 20-something year run of success in San Antonio. This trade made sense for both sides. Sure, it's questionable from both sides, too. You can wonder if San Antonio got enough back. You can wonder why Toronto would make this move, knowing that Kawhi's not exactly enthused to play there. But it seems to make sense. It seems to make sense when you dig a little bit deeper in on the trade. Let's take a time out to remind you that if you missed any of our shows, you can get caught up with the best of podcasts. That's the On the Block On Demand podcast with Bran Axe, the Daniel Baldwin Show podcast, and the Orange Nation podcast when we return on August 6th. You can find them all on ESPN or subscribe on iTunes to get them delivered straight to your phone every day. While you're on ESPN Syracuse.com, check out our audio vault. We've got all the interviews nice and neatly cut up for you, separated from the rest of the show. So you can get caught up on all your interviews, you can get caught up on all your shows, uh, and just get a whole bunch of content anytime you want uh, from our shows on ESPN Syracuse on your phone, on ESPNSyracuse.com. Check it all out there, and remember to subscribe on iTunes, and you'll get this stuff delivered to you every day as soon as it's posted. Now back to a show to be named later. All right, so we are back here on a show to be named later and really excited to talk some NFL football with our next guest, Chad Brown, a 15-year NFL veteran, all-pro linebacker, with the Steelers, the Seahawks, the Patriots. Uh, Chad, thanks for coming on. How are you today?
1: I'm pretty good, Seth. Uh, Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely happy to do it. And uh, 50 days out from uh, kickoff to the NFL season. It feels like that time of summer where we're getting rolling. And and I thought I would start here, because I know we're a couple weeks from training camp, but... As as somebody who's been in that locker room who's been through this these rigors, what's going on now? What's what's the player routine like now when you're a couple weeks out from getting together with the the rest of your guys?
1: Well the offseason has changed, you know, so much. Uh, no, gosh, in ten years since I retired, but this time of year, uh, players have kind of finished up and wrapped up vacations and hopefully, I'm sure every coach and general manager would say this, hopefully they're you know focused in on their training and trying to get themselves ready for the start of training camp. So you don't need to be in you know Super Bowl shape when you show up and there's always those guys who are going to say, I'm in the best shape of my life kind of thing. But you need to show up for that first day of training camp uh, prepared mentally and prepared physically for the, the rigors of training camp so you don't miss any time due to Things that you could have taken care of by working harder or working in a smarter way during the off season.
0: Now, Chad, one of the interesting, I think, pre-training camp stories came down yesterday with the Rams signing Brandon Cooks and, and giving him that extension before he plays for them. Um, and, and we, you know, you could talk about that extension and, and you know, bat that back and forth. But one of the things I'm really interested about is uh, they've got Aaron Donald out there, who's one of the best players in football, and, and haven't locked him up yet. Um, is that something that you know Donald may look at and say, "Hey, you know, I've been here a couple of years, and and the new guy got his money." Is that is that a problem? You know, when you when you do something like that.
1: Uh, I think naively it, it can, but Aaron Donald is, is smart enough to recognize that that his deal is such is going to be such a uh, huge deal, going to eat up such a significant part of the salary cap that those kind of things take time. I think the Brandon Cooks deal, while I don't have all the particulars, seems to be a much more uh, simply done deal. Um, you know, when we talk about the Aaron Donalds of the war, war world, the Von Millers, the you know elite quarterbacks of the world, any coming to that $20 million range per year, per season, the, the club is obviously going to take their time and not be just cavalier with that process. So um, I would think Aaron Donald has enough business-savvy and background and his representatives can help him understand, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Clearly, you're the best defensive player in football. So don't be upset at the fact that someone else got a simple deal. Our deal is going to take time just simply due to the complications involved and, and making it work for both sides.
0: Yeah, and, and you talk about Donald being you know the best defensive player in the game and, and maybe the best offensive player in the game, Le'Veon Bell, you know, still out there, still still waiting for his deal. And it seems like he's fallen into a uh, similar place that Kirk Cousins was in uh, a year ago. And, and I'm curious what your thoughts are with Bell not reaching uh, a deal, not reaching a long-term extension with the Steelers. And, and if he plays this year, it will be playing
1: out a franchise tag once again. It's unfortunate for for Le'Veon that you know there isn't he's you know unfortunately being slotted as a, as a running back. But considering all the things that he does for the Steelers offense, you know uh, his offensive weapon designation. I think he's asking for uh, is. Fairly appropriate. And when you think about a guy, you know, going back a few years, a guy like Marshall Falk, who, you know, ran for 1,200 plus yards, you know, had somewhere, you know, 70 plus receptions a year, things like that, the things that Le'Veon Bell does, you have to think about the importance of that player to that offense. And uh, the franchise tag, I understand that it's been improved by the union and the owners as a way for owners to be able to try to retain their best players. And usually, uh, it ends up working out okay for the player, but with a position with the shelf life, the short shelf life that running backs have, the amount of touches that Le'Veon Bell does every single year, um, I think he's getting the short end of the stick for this. I know the second best running back salary after his $14.5 that he's going to get this year with the franchise tag is only $6 million with LaShawn McCoy, but I think he is certainly worth more money for that, particularly what he does for that Steelers offense.
0: Yeah, he certainly seems like, and it, it feels like at some point he'll get his money, right? I
1: mean, maybe not from the Steelers, but he'll get paid by somebody, wouldn't he? He will get paid, but the issue for running backs, again, is the the, the short shelf life of them. And once those touches start to stack up as they are with Le'Veon Bell, what team is going to give you $75 million guarantee and spread that over five years, I don't think teams would feel very comfortable with that length of a deal. So he'll get a good deal, and I think he will get paid, but he will not get that guaranteed money, that large sum guarantee that he's looking for It's uh, just simply due to the position that he plays.
0: Now we're talking with Chad Brown, a 15-year NFL vet and all-pro linebacker. Now he's doing uh, some analyst work uh, with Westwood One, with uh, the ESPN on, on the FCS and college football and the Pac-12 network, and, and also out in Denver, and you're hosting on 104.3 The Fan. And I mentioned Kirk Cousins earlier, and the quarterback carousel spun, and Kirk lands in Minnesota, and Case Keenum lands with the Broncos. And it seems like they got their answer to quarterback after, Kay, uh, after Peyton Manning retires what is the feeling out there in Denver with Case Keenum and and moving forward in that
1: route? I think there is some optimism after the last two years of, of quarterback play for the Broncos. You know, to to make the fans in Denver optimistic wasn't a very tall hill to climb, but the you know the confidence that Case Keenum is really, truly going to be the guy. The standard for quarterback play around here being John Elway and Peyton Manning. Uh, Case Keenum doesn't need to reach that level, but if he can play as he played last season with the Vikings, then this Broncos team has found their quarterback. If he plays like he did in his previous stops before he got to the Vikings, then the Broncos are still going to be continuing to try to find a quarterback that can give them a reliable offensive production to go along with what is still a pretty good defense
0: yeah you mentioned the defense and and I think that from the outside and and I certainly looked at Denver this way I I mean you still got Von Miller and and you've still got that uh ferocious front and, and everything they can do they really seemed like a team that if they had better quarterback play they would be absolutely a playoff team if not something more can they bounce back to that this year if Case Keenum as you say is what he was the last
1: couple of years Going into last season, the number of question marks for the Broncos were, were huge. Vance Joseph being a first time coach, Joe Woods being a first time defensive coordinator, the question marks at the quarterback position. Uh, they, there was just so the offensive line, you know, was it going to be better? All those question marks going into the season. And for the most part, those things are still question marks. Vance Joseph was returns to the Denver Broncos, but only after John Elway has to sleep on it to see whether he's going to bring this guy back. Doesn't seem like a great vote of confidence. Uh, Case Keenum brought in through free agency seems to solve the quarterback issue, but we're not really sure who Case Keenum is, so still a question mark there. They bring in guys like Jared Valdir to help on the offensive line, uh, so if he's healthy. He's a seeming upgrade, but he hasn't participated in workouts all offseason long. So even that is still a bit of a question mark. So uh, I think the question marks may be smaller than they were last year. They're put into a smaller size fault, but there's still lots of question marks for Denver Broncos. So your scenario of them going from you know a losing team last year, losing eight games in a row, to being in the playoffs, um, that's a... That's a pretty big jump for them to make with the number of question marks still out there for the Denver Broncos.
0: Yeah, look, I'm a Giants fan, so I'm, I'm in the same boat, right? <laughs> they, they've got so many questions, and they pick Saquon Barkley, and you, you don't know if that fixes everything, but, but you got to hope that, that quarterback play bounces back and, and the defense is what it still was a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, and, and and that's what's happening here in Denver. You know, the folks are looking at the question marks and feeling a little bit more positive than they were than last year about those same question marks. Uh, and the Broncos did have a fairly good offseason on paper. Hey, the draft seemed to go well. It's a number of guys who are team captains or four-year college starters kind of guys who come in with a lot of character behind them. Uh, last year's draft class has an opportunity to play after not really getting much playtime from that class other than Garrett Bowles. So there are some reasons for optimism, but uh, again, there's still those question marks that we won't know about until probably week five or six during the season.
0: Chad, looking at your career, you played for the Steelers obviously, but uh you the, the coach that you played for who's still in the league is is Bill Belichick and and I'm curious what it's like being in that locker room with that coach, obviously known as as a great defensive mind going back to the Giants days. Um and, and you know, now 10 years later, it's still Brady, it's still Belichick and and it's still the Patriots.
1: Uh the experience to be a New England Patriot and to be inside that locker room with Bill Belichick. Um, it's fantastic. If you love football, that's a great place to be. I know this has been a kind of an interesting topic this offseason with several former Patriots coming out, talking about how it's not fun to play there. Uh, last time I checked, winning is really, really fun. <laughs> and that's why I played the game, uh, not to go and have a bunch of laughs with some guys. I went to go try to win championships. So to, for that, couple years at the end of my career that I had a chance to be a New England Patriot. Um, I value that time. It was an incredible experience to uh, be coached by such a dedicated group of coaches, to be coached by Bill, Bill Belichick, to be in the same locker room as a guy like Tom Brady. And then in year 15 of my career, my last year of playing, I am in a linebacker room with myself, Junior Seau, Teddy Bruschi, Mike Vrabel, Roosevelt Coven—it it, it had to be the most experienced linebacker group, maybe of all time in NFL history, as far as years in the game. And in fact, all the guys who were ten years plus, Bill bought us rocking chairs so <laughs> all the old guys could be comfortable in the meeting. So. Uh, I saw that as fun. I saw that as pretty humorous that the head coach buys us rocking chairs. So all those guys who say they don't know uh, if the Patriots are fun, I would respectfully disagree because it's fun winning. And Bill also knows how to have some fun.
0: Yeah, that must have been awesome. You you listing off those names yourself and Junior Seau and Teddy Bruschi, that that must have been quite a group to
1: to be working with over the course of a year. It was truly fantastic. And then uh, to even add more fun on top of that, uh, at least once a week, Bill would lead the linebacker meeting. Oh wow! So not only am I in the room with all these, you know, all-time great players, but Bill Belichick is leading the linebacker meeting, and we're watching '80s Giants tape of Harry Carson and Carl Banks and Lawrence Taylor. Um, now, sometimes you know we had to laugh because you know he would talk about Harry Carson's technique on an offensive guard, and he'd be like. Coach, that's 86. That that guard weighed 265. The guard I'm playing this week, he's 340. I can't do the same thing that Harry Carson did there. But just from a pure football experience, those guys, that coach, watching that tape, incredible.
0: Chad, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon.
1: Thanks for having me on. Certainly appreciate it. Thanks, Seth.
0: That was Chad Brown, a 15-year veteran of the NFL and all-pro with the Steelers and the Seahawks and a pro bowler. He played for the Patriots as well. It was on that 16-0 and Patriots team. And uh, what about that story about Bill Belichick leading the linebackers meetings once a week? To, to be a fly on the wall... In that kind of a in that kind of a setting. Must have been something. Uh, absolutely incredible story there. Uh want to take a break to remind you to listen to ESPN radio all day long for your chance to win a free round of golf and a bucket of balls at Hickory Hill Golf Course. Check them out online at Hickory Hill course.com So you can win with Brent Axe, you can win with Daniel Baldwin. They'll give away one an hour. That's a round of golf and a bucket of balls at Hickory Hill Golf Course. All right, now back to a show to be named later to wrap it up. All right, let's wrap up the show today with some baseball talk and last night's All-Star Game. You know, I'm sitting there watching, and I couldn't help but think last night that that game, that All-Star Game, was such a perfect summary and explanation of what baseball is, has become this year. 2018, what baseball is right now, it it made all the sense in the world. It was a snapshot of the game that I, I don't think could get more perfect than last night. You had a bunch of pitching changes, you had 10 home runs, you had 25 strikeouts. It was a perfect encapsulation of baseball in 2018. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I would imagine that all-star games and exhibitions like this would and should show you what the game is like at a given time. I'm sure that if we go back to the 60s and 50s, we would think the same thing, right? Wow, this is baseball in the 1950s. But with the way that baseball has changed over the last decade, that game last night felt like just a perfect snapshot, right? Just a perfect indicator Of what baseball is right now. Aaron Judge hits a home run. Mike Trout hits a home run. Astros dominate at the end. It made all the sense in the world. It was 2018 baseball. It was this season. You had a bunch of pitches over 98. I think every pitcher who came into the game threw 98 miles per hour or faster. Except for like Jay Happ. You had hard pitches, you had home runs, you had strikeouts, you had uh, the stars doing what stars do. It was incredible to watch. I love baseball. I watched the All-Star game last night. I enjoyed the All-Star game last night. But I know that there are a lot of people out there who don't like where baseball is going and probably hated last night's All-Star game. All I say to that is is that's too bad. I mean, that's what baseball is. And baseball and the All-Star break, obviously lend itself to a lot of conversation, it's the midway point, it's time to reflect, should we ban shifts, should we add the DH in the National League, and that's a discussion for another day, because I do want to focus on the All-Star game, but I will say very quickly, no, don't ban shifts, it's short-sighted and stupid, and yes, please, add the designated hitter in the National League, pitchers can't hit. But one thing I really liked about last night's All-Star game, to get back on track here, I really liked watching the telecast and hearing from players in the middle of the game. That may sound silly. That may sound like a small thing that doesn't matter all that much. But I really liked hearing from players during the game. Having those players mic'd up, talking back to the booth, was really great. You saw something about Mike Trout, right? You heard a little bit of what he's like. You got to know Bryce Harper a little bit. I thought Francisco Lindor stole the show. I thought Francisco Lindor was awesome. He was just like a little ball of energy. He was mic'd up, the camera on him at all times. He goes over and gives Eugenio Suarez uh, a little kiss on the on the leg where where his he got hit by a pitch, right? He kisses his hand and then gives him a little tap. And then, oh, by the way, he caps off the inning by catching a pop-up and yelling, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, as loud as he can right into the mic. I thought it was perfect. I I thought that was a great indicator and a a great way of showcasing some of the best players in baseball. And they pick Mike Trout, and they talk to him about the Angels, and they talk to him about this season and being a Philadelphia Eagles fan. You get to know this guy a little bit more. They talked to Charlie Blackman, and I thought this was the funniest thing. He he's moving around so much and he and he's walking around in the outfield and he's looking over his shoulder left and right. And the Joe Buck's just like, Charlie, like, what's up? You you all right there? And he basically just says, I get bored in center field. I get a little bored out here. So I gotta like kick grass and think of things to do. It was funny. It showcases their personality. It felt like a perfect thing to do. In an MLB All-Star game. Show these guys off. Showcase them. You already showcase their abilities. You already see Mike Trout and Aaron Judge hitting home runs and Max Scherzer lighting up radar guns. But let's get to know them. And we did last night. We heard from Trout and Harper and Lindor and Blackman. You heard from Manny Machado in the dugout after getting off the field in, in what might be his last public appearance As a Baltimore Oriole. I mean, that was just fascinating to watch play out last night. You get to know these guys on a bit of a human level a little bit more. And I think that the MLB All-Star game last night did a really good job of that. Yeah, it was a snapshot of baseball in 2018, for better or for worse. Whether you like that or not. Home runs, strikeouts, hard throws. That's what baseball is right now. I like it. I enjoyed it. If you didn't, you didn't. But it was a snapshot of baseball and a showcase of the game's best talent, and I think in that regard, baseball succeeded last night. Baseball won last night by doing all of that. All right, that does it for us today on a show to be named later. Thanks again to Chad Brown, the All-Pro from the Pittsburgh Steelers and New England Patriots and Seattle Seahawks, who joined us earlier in the show to break down some NFL and talk some football with us 50 days out of the NFL season. I am off tomorrow, but we will be back on Friday to wrap up the week and get back here on a show to be named later.